Welcome to Honorverse Today, the Honor Harrington podcast brought to you by TPE Network. Let's be about it. Hello, Honorverse fans, Honor Harrington fans, Treecat fans across. I was going to say the Fruited Plain, but I'm going to go ahead and say the world because we've got people from everywhere listening to us. Welcome to Honorverse Today. This is Raul Wybera, and I am joined by my good friends Jim Erwood and J.P. Harvey, and we are here to talk all things Honor Harrington. How are you two gentlemen tonight? I'm doing great. Ready to sail. Ha! Yeah. Sailing. We're, wow. This is book five already. You know it, guys? This mm-hmm. is a book third, five. We're a third of the way through the original set of books, more or less, already. Oh, you're going to be in for a surprise on that one. We're actually not as far as you think, because when we start to deal with the spinoffs, you start to realize they're not quite as spinny-offy as... <laughs> You so are, you're saying that not the main series actually feels a lot like the main series. Yeah, in, in particular, the uh, Crown of Slaves series and the Saganami Island series, they're different branches, but they are as much main series as the main series in a lot of ways. Mm. In, in, that you, in that it will be hopeless to understand the main series without them which is kind of why we're reading in uh, sequence in publication order. But that said, we are really, really well into the story now. And for me, at least, this book represents a pretty significant shift in the Honorverse epic. Uh, Honor's entire world undergoes a huge and, in a good way, pretty permanent change. And we have a some serious development in Haven where it kind of shifts from being a generic bad guy to a real place with real people. And it turns out you actually like, it turns out you actually like some of the Havenite people. They're not, they're no longer just the generic bad guy. Mm. Darn them. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) The, the, the people, there's actually some feeling behind the people that, uh, it, it may look like, you know, you're you're hoping are being killed or beaten and it's like okay now i really don't want them to get hurt i and i think the best way to get us set for this jim is for you to give us a general summary all right fair enough so the title of the book is flag in exile honor harrington book number five by david weber and here is the uh summary from the back of the book hounded into retirement and disgrace by political enemies cut to the heart by the murder of the man she loved, and bereft of confidence in herself and her abilities, Captain Honor Harrington has retreated to the planet Grayson to take up her role as steadholder while she tries to heal her bitter wounds. But the People's Republic of Haven is rising from defeat to threaten Grayson anew, and the newborn Grayson Navy needs her experience desperately. It's a call Honor cannot refuse. Yet even as she once more accepts the duty whose challenges she fears she can no longer meet, 
powerful men who hate and fear the changes she's brought to their world are determined to reverse them. They have a plan, and for it to succeed, Honor Harrington must die. Two irresistible forces are rushing together to crush Grayson between them, and only one woman, uncertain of her capabilities, weary unto death and marked for murder, stands between her adopted planet and its devastation. Well, there it is. There it is. Yep. Can I say something real quick? Well, yeah, this is a podcast. You should yeah. say something. <laughs> Just to say, I should say something. I, I, I have to, I actually like the liner notes on these Honor Harrington books because they do a better job than a lot of them about giving you a really honest evaluation of what's coming in the story mm-hmm. without dropping any real spoilers at all. Yeah. Too many of them, it either has nothing to do with what you read or they're spoiling the plot. <laughs> Anyway, or, I, 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 I just or the way as ca- as in the yeah. case of in the case of uh, a lot of the Star Trek novels I read, whoever writes the liner notes doesn't even bother to read the book. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. They're going to write a summary based off the artwork on the cover. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Yeah, and you know it's bad when the liner notes are actually better than the book. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, that that's not the case here. That's. For- no. no, no, no. And the liner notes are, are pretty awesome, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yep. So speaking about uh, some of the technical aspects of the book, JP, go ahead and pick it up from there. All right. Well, this this one, uh, people are going to start to think we're repeating things. We, we sort of are, but <laughs> said these are these are kind of hefty books. You know, we've talked about that a little bit from the start. This one is 443 pages, published in 1995 by Ban. The story takes place very shortly after the previous book when Honor wins a duel against our, our uh, guy that we love to hate, Pavel Young, and finds herself placed on half pay due to the political consequences of the duel. And that, you know, that should make for good discussion later. Um, this creates an opportunity for her to return to Grayson, as you heard in the, in the teaser off the back of the book, to take her place as a stead holder and begin to manage her business there. This is a setup for some comments I have later, but keep in mind, uh, this book, number five, is at or near what Weber originally estimated for how long the series would be. Uh, And I think we talked about that in the intro show way back, but uh, he thought that this would be a five, depending on what you read or what interview you watch, he thought this would be anywhere from five to eight books. We are now in book five. So keep that in mind as as we go through this story, too. That's a really good point, JP, because that connects dire- what you just said there connects directly with what I was saying when we started about this being a milestone book. Yeah. Because th- th- there's a lot of shifts there. And yeah, that- that's going to apply to some of my comments as well. I-, I won't spoilery my own comments, but I'll say this. I think we're watching him realize that this universe is much bigger and the story is much bigger than he envisioned five books ago. Yes. And that and I, I I'm glad for it, but uh, but we see some of that struggle, I think, coming out in the story. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Somewhere between book five and book nine, if we had a David, if we were able to ever snag a David Weber interview, right around now, you know, in that five to eight book range that you're talking about, it would be the time for a first to, to try and get a first interview with him. Hmm. And uh, yeah, if uh, you're from Bain Books and listening in, that is a subtle hint. <laughs> 
Yeah, about as subtle as an atomic bomb. <laughs> boom today. Oh, this is on our Harrington book. There's always right. boom today. Oh, yeah. So, with the kind of the, the technical notes behind us, let's roll into impressions. Uh, Jim, you want to kick us off? Sure. All right. Overall, I thought this was a really good story. And then there was a lot of exposition, a lot of info dump involved. In the first half of the book, Wow, I often found my mind wandering as I slogged through pages and pages of information. Now, I appreciate how the author wants to paint a complete picture uh, of the setting and the situation and and all the little dynamics, but, um, you know, it was a little much for me. I don't really need every single detail of every single aspect in order to get a story. Uh, I can fill in some of the blanks myself. As I said during our discussion on on uh, of on Basilisk Station, I might not have finished this book if it were not for the podcast. Uh, this will this is going to affect my rating when we get to that point. And the second half of the book was, as always, well paced and fun to read. Once we got once we got through all the exposition, it really sped up. So that's what I thought. What about you, JP? Um, I'll play right off of that. So that I, it's funny. I think for a lot of these books, I, I have to go back. I didn't even take notes on this, but it's an observation I've made, and you made me think of it. It seems on a lot, or maybe all these books, the first half tends to feel slower than the second half. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I can't prove it. Um, I don't know if that's been. It's been more than one book, but this one was that way for me. That second half going fast might have been because of a huge space battle. Yeah. Um, lots of action tied to select points in military theory. Well, and I'll throw some of that out there in a bit. Um, I, I also uh, thought some lengthy narrative on political science through the book. I appreciated that because that's my background. Um, but I, I think, like you, Jim, there was more than what was probably really required to tell the story. With this caveat, if he's setting up future stuff, awesome. Um, but it mm. felt like a lot. Um, I don't think Weber would do this because he was straying around either. Um, and I don't know if that's the right phrase, but it's the one I'm going to use. Uh, he's already shown us he's a fantastic storyteller. Mm. So that left me thinking about the amount of exposition or narrative that he included. Maybe it was forced a little bit. I'm not saying it was bad info or unnecessary, but I wondered if at this point, and this is what I was hinting at earlier, Weber was thinking he needed to get all this info in to tell the story as he had it in his in his nugget at the time. To tell the whole story, he had to start filling in details, a lot of them, he felt, um, because he needed to wrap it up soon. This is book five. He thought it was going to be five books, uh, maybe eight books. And that's what I was alluding to when I said, we may be seeing mm-hmm. him wrestle with this now as he's as the story has a life as they do, and he's he may be starting to realize this is a huge universe he's made, an an awesome universe. So if so, if the, and that's what I meant by force by not like the publishers like you got to write longer books, but um, he was he was now struggling with the the size of this amazing universe. So maybe he felt he had to pack a lot into the book. He wanted the reader to consider things beyond the immediate story. And maybe he started to realize there was more story to tell than he could contain. So we'll see. We'll see if that plays out, if that proves to be true. 
Anyway, uh, let's see if the volume of exposition and background drop off as he embraced writing a series that was going to exceed the original plan. Or maybe we're going to learn it was part of the way he tells stories. But time will tell. Okay, can I break in just before Raul goes? Yeah. See, this is what I've noticed or or what I perceive as we've read through these. Uh, Basilisk Station, the first book, was loaded with... And, and, you know, I complained about it then, too. It was just absolutely loaded with info dump, just more and more and more stuff. The second book wasn't like that as much. The third and fourth books were way uh, more fun to read uh, in the first halves because there wasn't as much of that. Now, I wonder if David Weber isn't setting the stage in in the first book and... We get this segment of books, and then something's going to shift, and we're going to get another one of those books that has a lot of this uh, scene setting in it, and then a little less as as these segments go on. So we're we're definitely entering with this book a new segment where uh, Honor is no longer as involved at, with Manticore as she is with Grayson now. So... I don't know. Anyway, Raul. Yeah, and that's... for folks listening, sorry, I'm going to jump in too. This is mine. And I think, Jim, you're for this is our we're reading these books for the first time and talking about them. Raul kind of knows what's coming because he's been through them several times and is gracious enough not to be too spoilery with us. But yeah. Um, so when you hear me talk for sure, and I think, Jim, too, uh, folks that are on this ride with us, you're hearing first time readers work through what this author is showing us. For me, this is a lot of fun. And I can tell you right now, for, first of all, because my, my, comment, my comment here starts out with, okay, this is actually one of my favorite of the Honor Harrington novels. But then I say, yes, I know there is a lot of exposition, and I know some have complained about political preaching, but there are some new dynamics to the saga. That was not written with any knowledge of what you guys had said, because I skip over you what you guys write when i write my notes so your reaction is consistent with a lot of the readership first of all and second of all some of our some of our uh, some of the comments that i've gotten on our email which i can give you guys the access but you don't want to because there'll be too many spoilers they love getting that perspective coming from a new honor harrington reader That's first time to know yep <laughs> so yeah, I, I hope I hope people aren't listening to us going those those dingbats. Why don't they understand? But you know, I'm happy to admit and remind folks that I am literally reading these books for the first time, and it's uh, it's a wild and fun adventure. Keep in mind, and because th- 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 this is going straight, you you guys segued right into my I- into my uh, first my uh, my overall impressions here at, at the beginning because it fits in and. Besides which, like you, JP, I actually enjoy the political aspects of the stories. But like I said, there's a lot of new dynamics. We now have the Committee for Public Safety and Rob S. Pierre. And if you notice some historical parallels in the names, you're not mistaken. Haven is certainly under, you know, obviously, if you know anything about history, it's this mix of the French Revolutionary period with the Soviet Union. And we're going to be dealing with this for quite a while now. So 
most of that exposition, most of that heavy extended exposition is the background history, the background in history of how Haven became came to be the way it is, which is going to be a central point for the next four or five books. So there's... I'm not going to say too much more <laughs> at this point. As we get through the story, I'll be popping in some more. But that's not for, for as for the first time reader, what is going to set what 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 probably sells it for you, and this is probably what kept Jim reading uh, reading. Uh, now that he's got a little more familiar right, with Weber, is the amount of growth we have in honor. Keep in mind, at the end of the last book, she is a completely destroyed, wrecked, broken woman. All right. In this book, we see her not only pull herself back up, but also exceed. And I don't mean just as a naval officer, but as a stead holder and as a businesswoman. This, this is setting her arc. This, is the, this book is a major pivot, both from Haven and from Honor, as I started out with the book. And of course, the, the story's got epic space battles. It's got personal growth. There are a point. There, there are a point. A couple points where my eyes started to leak. And we, we also have one of the most beloved characters in the series introduced. We, we, we see the, we see this character for the very first time. And anyone who's already read the book knows who I'm talking about. You guys don't know yet, but it'll come in. It'll come into the course of the discussion. So okay. I want to tell a tree cat joke, but <laughs> huh? we already met the tree cat. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not a tree cat. Yeah. And they are not glorified. Yeah. And thank you, JP, because tree cats are people, not pets. <laughs> I'm starting to get that impression myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there is actually, there, there is an actual arc to the whole tree cat story. But it is a very, it's a secondary arc that is just slow, takes its time, grows at its own pace. Mm. And we're not too far from the first uh, anthology where we get some of the short stories involved. Ah. And a lot of the tree cat background will come in there. But we're not talking about those stories. Jim, I'm going to let you start talking about this story. Yeah, we'll take it... uh... The points that I gleaned in the order that they come in and uh, we can discuss or not. All right. So in the aftermath of Honor's killing of Pavel Young, uh, she takes up residence on Grayson where she assumes her duties as steadholder until things calm down on Manticore. She oversees her estate and the development of her properties. She dwells on the death of Paul Tankersley and deals with survivor's guilt following her time as a captain in the Navy. It isn't long before she realizes she cannot afford to continue to dwell on her emotions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any any comments there? I think that's a fairly good synopsis. While all, while this is going on, and this is one of the spots where a lot of this kind of gets interrupted, shall we say, by interleaving the... Um, Havenite history, a lot of that Havenite background exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, and like you said, a lot of it happens in the first half of the book. Right. I like how you said uh, you said she's there until things calm down, um, you know, which we we learn is a delicate way of saying that um, th- there is an apparent 
significant disagreement now between the admiralty who favor what honor has done and can continue to do and the the political folks who at least are, on the legislative side yes on the legislative side who are yeah not the queen and who are i don't know if this is really the right word but i'll say disgusted with the fact that she exercised her rights they can't tell her she was wrong but they benched her effectively and, yeah. uh, but but she's got this opportunity to go to Grayson. We gave you authority. How dare you use it? Right, right. And I, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it was, um, it's neat to watch her have the ability to dig back out. You know, the the first tragedy and her lack of self confidence in the earlier books that she she grew out of, and then there was this, which is just super heavy. And uh, you could the the morning was believable, and then her and then she did what I would hope a normal healthy person would do is start to realize I got to get out of this. I can't stay in this funk. And it was neat to watch her yeah. come out of that. Yes, indeed, very much so. Yeah. All right. The war between Manticore and Haven rages on. The Grayson Navy continues to develop and grow, but they lack an experienced officer to train them. Honor is asked to become an admiral in the Grayson Navy. After some soul-searching, she accepts and is given command of a super dreadnought where she directs battle exercises. Now, when you say... Well, actually, it's not... A, she, she's given a flagship. She's actually not in command of, the, of said super dreadnought, which, if you haven't realized it, keep in mind, you're talking about four kilometers of whoop-ass. <laughs> when when okay. you're talking about a when you're talking to Super Dreadnought, because it's uh, Alfredo Yu that's the captain of the Terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, okay. He's her flag captain. Flag captain, in fact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she owns she owns the the uh, she owns the whole damn the fleet task force. Yeah, the fleet. Um, but her her ship is uh, like you said it's a it's a it's a giant uh, butt kicker. <laughs> Okay. Yep. You She's know, Haven on. Haven was a little bit behind the edge technologically. They've what 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 we're seeing here is they are catching up really darn yeah. fast. That it's this uh, alliance has made a big difference for Grayson and and this change in Haven has made a big difference not necessarily in a good way for Haven. It's it's yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. if you've noticed it's not that the it's not that the Graysons are inept, but if you look at the things that are happening on the planet, at least you know through the story, they they seem to have a knack of taking technologies, taking the technologies from Manticore, and really making them their own, mm -hmm. like what they do with you know what they do with us the sky domes with the domes, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet they refuse to give up their uh, impact printers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Haven performs a new operation in which they capture two planets deep in Manticore in space. A task force from Manticore and half the Grayson Navy leave to liberate those planets. Haven was You're talking hoping... about the task force that was on Grayson, right? Yeah. Yep, Haven was hoping they would do this and take the opportunity to send a task force to destroy the orbital infrastructure in the Yeltsin star system and to provide modern armaments to Masada. 
Mm-hmm. So previously, uh, we were told that um, Haven had pretty well cut Masada loose, but that wasn't really the case, apparently. Yeah, they're not quite giving up entirely on Masada yet. You know, you know, M- Masada remains one of those annoying pains in the rump <laughs> in and out through th- throughout throughout this series. The, the the sort of the grand hypocrites of the honorverse, ah. actually. <laughs> and keep in mind, keep the name Esther McQueen in mind because someone you're looking at someone who was able to beat uh, Whitehaven, and if you can beat Hamish Alexander. You got some, you've earned yourself some street cred. (laughs) All right. Comments, JP? Nope. Okay. So back on Grayson, there is political unrest. Uh, Despite having the full support of Protector Benjamin the Ninth and his government and the people of Grayson in general, several stead holders refused to accept honor as one of their number, as well as Benjamin's reforms. When public protests against honor fail, they turned to terrorism by sabotaging the building of a Christoplast dome being financed and built by Honor's company, Grace and Sky Domes. The dome being built to house a middle school collapses and kills a number of people, including children, who were there to see the marvel under construction. Believing the collapse to be a result from poor building materials and workmanship, public opinion turns against Honor. Yeah, this this is one of the pieces that were my it, it there was it was hard to read. It was dark. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was. I thought it was believable given the history of Grayson, and you get mm-hmm. this, you get this what I'll call safe support of honor, this quiet support because a lot of people probably perceive no threat to their way of life. Not that she's a threat, but those um. What'd you call them? Reforms. Uh, Benjamin's mm-hmm. reforms. So something horrible like this happens and people just like in the real world are very quick to judge based on the first thing they see or the first thing they hear. They form an opinion and run with it. And it was painful to see this happen. Not just the tragedy of, of the deaths that were involved, but like, what do you do? What, what does honor do? What does mm-hmm. Benjamin do? What does yep. anybody do to try and get that that you know, put Pandora back in the box, basically, and, right. and that unfolds. We get to see how this happens, but uh, wow, heart wrenching! It is really a really good read in in how they and how this does uh, proceed. And what you know, what I thought as... too. We just I mean, we were just talking about it. So Honor comes out of a just a catastrophe in her own life. I'm looking for the right phrase, you know, pulls her, pulls herself up by her bootstraps. Not, not in a bad, not in an unreal way. She has a lot of Uh stuff she can put her time and attention in to help heal those wounds. And this happens. And my first thought was, okay, I don't know how you're going to get 14 books out of this because you are killing this poor lady, you know, (laughs) just bad thing after bad thing. But she comes out of that tragedy of the loss of, um, Tankersley damaged, yeah, but stronger. And I think we get to see her actually shine here as she starts to do what she can. It's really not her directly that starts to solve the problem, but she has the right attitude. And it's not just what she's doing for herself. It's the people who, the. I mean, Adam Garrick is 
as devastated as she was when Paul was killed on on this and the way she pulls him up and then just, oh God, what happened to him later after she, after she does all of that building him back up and his his line, it was almost one of my quotes, but we're engineers as far as (laughs) being able to find the solution. And then Klinkscale's comment about uh, what, as far as the who and why is, you might be engineers, but I'm a cop. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, historical footnote here. This book came between the time this book was written and the time it was published. The Oklahoma City bombing occurred. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And th- there was some question about, oh, gosh, do we do this? D- 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 does this stay in the way just the way it is after that happened or not what what do we what do we do here because especially with the school kids being killed yeah mm-hmm. he left it hey i'm glad and yes um, if for for those like me like jim who are reading these books for the first time there is an afterward in this book and and uh david weber talks about that very briefly but I'm glad. I'm glad that he. This was all left the way it was, and the book was published the way it was. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I agree. All right. So Honor is devastated by the news of the collapse, and her chief engineer for the project and others discover the purposeful sabotage, and find that those involved in the plot are close to her chief enemy in the conclave of Steadholders, Lord Burdett. When he learns the government has uncovered his plot, there are attempts to assassinate Honor. After an attempt to shoot Honor's pinnace out of the sky, one of the assassins is captured, but not before he is able to kill Reverend Hanks. At a meeting of the conclave, Burdett confesses everything to the membership. He demands a trial by sword combat with Honor as the champion of Benjamin. The battle is very short as Honor dispatches the better swordsman with two strokes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and the other eye le- the other eye leak moment for me was when Reverend Hanks died. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think we 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 said I can't remember if we've talked about who he was, but he is essentially the senior cleric of Grayson. Mm-hmm. Even even Burdett, Lord Burdett and his cronies, the the youngster that was involved in killing him, uh, when he realized what he had done, his reaction I thought was very real. You know, he that was the last thing that 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 poor fool ever thought would happen, and it happened so quickly that he never had a chance for it to register what he had done until it was too late. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the rest of the as you said, cronies weren't really aware of that assassination plot. Uh, right. Mueller in particular was absolutely livid about the stupidity, you know, and the, yes. what really rattled, what was really almost disturbing there is Mueller's emphasis. Mueller's real concern was not the morality of killing Reverend Hanks. It was the political implications yes. of it. Yep. And then, and there was a lesson uh, I don't, I don't think I have uh, have it queued up to talk about later, but there's a lesson here in the way that Honor beat him about him, about Burdett. Yes. And, th- and that is that he went in 
and and was a bag of arrogance and um, <laughs> and anger. You know, at this point, he is a horribly angry man, and he's so angry that he's going to confess to what he's done, and he's going to challenge her. And he's a sword master, and she's only been studying the sword for a year, and all of these things. Yeah, but she's he also been studying martial arts for forty years. Yes, he focused on one facet. He he chose to focus on one facet of of Honor's life, mm-hmm. and looked right past the fact that she could still be a, a very real threat to him, even though she, you know, she's a just a new student of the sword, and he's a sword master, and. You, you go into a fight with the wrong motives and with arrogance, or put it, I'll put it in military terms, without respect for your enemy, uh, you run a great risk of losing. And we watched that happen yes. on a personal level, on an individual level with this duel. Yeah, he, he, that, he, he made two huge mistakes. One was exactly what you said there um, and, and focused just on that one aspect without taking it. I mean, she was studying under one one of the you know the, the number two national, and what we what he didn't take into account, she was equally as much a master of the coup mm-hmm. of coup de vitesse. They weren't. He wasn't. They were trading lessons, right? As peers, as equals. Okay, so she's got a forty years of training there, so she's got a little bit of a heads up. First of all. So all along with what you said, but the other thing is, and if you have ever been in a real self-defense situation before, you, you'll, you will absolutely understand this. There is a huge difference between being in a real threat situation where, yes. where it's for real and being in, be, being on the training being mat. Being on the training mat. Yep. I love that Weber brought that out. It's mm-hmm. a huge difference. Yep. All right. So now this next section, <laughs> I, I had to I had to stop and laugh because I had completely forgotten about any of the space battle stuff coming up because it had been left behind for so long <laughs> as we went through the political and religious and all this other stuff and the sword battle. And then it's like, oh, yeah, there's this part. Okay. No, 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 Jim, Jim, Jim. It's not, oh, yeah, there's this part. It's. Oh crap! And she's got to deal with this now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm going to share de- has to do with that. So this is this is a good setup. Yes. Okay. Well, not long after Admiral Thurston of Haven arrives with his task force to destroy the infrastructure around Grayson, believing all the dreadnoughts to be away from Grayson, Honor manages to lure him into a trap. Thurston wisely breaks off the operation before any more damage can be done to the already depleted task force in the fourth battle of Yeltsin's star. Okay, that, that you, you kind of underestimate the extent of the damage he takes <laughs> because he gets he, he gets the heck pummeled out of him. <laughs> All right. And so the last section, following Honor's victory, uh, the only undiscovered member of the conspirators, Stedholder Mueller, proposes the conclave to rally behind Honor and reimburse her for the legal expenses surrounding the dome collapse and petitions Benjamin to bestow the high honor of the crossed swords upon her. Which, as I recall, is a second award. That has only been awarded once. Yeah, it's the second award of that, of the other 
uh, honor she received, honors honor. Yeah, wasn't it like 400 years or something like that? Yeah, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and o- like you said, Raul, I think only one other person in their history had received it twice. Was that? Am I remembering that right? Yes. Yes, you are remembering that absolutely correct. Pretty pretty amazing and and what's in in there as you were as you were kind of laughing about Jim is a massive very complex battle oh yeah uh-huh. with a very tired admiral harrington yep and, mm-hmm. and very tired is a huge understatement <laughs> yeah uh, well see i don't want to get too deep into into little details because it uh, it it would take like 3 weeks just to edit the yeah. thing so <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it takes three weeks to record the thing. Yeah, there you go. All right. So there is, there's the story in a nutshell. Uh, so I'm going to hand this over to Raul so we can talk about characters. Yes. Uh, this was a very character driven story. And the last couple, my character lists were a little lighter. Um, as I said, the way this book represents, uh, such a significant shift it's a little thicker again but some of it is just get a summary and also give you guys a chance to comment again i have to be careful of what i say in this listing here because for so much of it these are characters that if i go too far i'm giving away spoilers i and i've got to start off with uh rob stephen pierre (laughs) or rob s pierre who is of course the head of the Committee for Public Safety. <laughs> yes. And I think we we mentioned last mentioned, time. Mentioned, yes. His, uh, his name is no mistake. Correct. <laughs> and you notice, the, yeah, the, the organization is the committee. Well, okay, it's not an exact copy because it's the Committee for Public Safety, not the Committee of Public Safety. Yeah. Right. We are going, we <laughs> will tell you what is safe. <laughs> Alexander Thurston really doesn't need a lot of discussion. He he was the lead admiral attacking Yeltsin Star, but beyond that, he's more or less a generic bad guy. More mm-hmm. more than anything else, he's the vehicle to introduce some other characters like <laughs> Warner Caslett. Uh important name that we're going to be seeing plenty of, uh, but I'd sure be curious as to your thoughts of him. I actually don't have any. Yeah, I I'm I'm more interested in in our friend Shannon. Yes, Shannon Foraker, everyone's favorite tech witch and techno nerd. Soon as soon as she showed up, I wanted more. I wanted to know more about this this lady. I promise you will get it. That beloved character that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. That this is she is it. Sweet. Ah. She she is it. Um, it, it, I I would have been I wouldn't have been surprised if. Either of you had said, "Oh, who? Uh, Shannon." <laughs> I and, yeah, I just decided I was going to wait. Yeah, and, but, and in fact, when you sent that uh, text about Shannon's number, oh. I almost texted. I almost <laughs> texted back, "Oops." Yeah, I was talking math, not not book. Yeah, no, no <laughs> one, no one, no one who hasn't read the books will understand that one. The people who have read the books are probably rolling on the floor laughing on it. On what on what that just said, and I'll I'll remind you of this at some point. That was that was coincidental that uh, that conversation mm-hmm. happened with my son, and <laughs> we were talking about math and not uh, not this book. Yep, Thomas Tiesman comes back again. 
as we kind of got the hint, the man's got a conscience and he also knows when to run. <laughs> you, you're going to be seeing more of him. And I think you're going to begin liking him more and more. And, and some of the decisions that he makes, actually, you, you'll find some of the historical background of uh, Haven will help you understand Tisman better as well. Ah. Esther McQueen, I've already said, she's it, if she can be Hamish Alexander, then she really is a threat. Here's the question, though. Is she more dangerous to the committee or to the Mantis? <laughs> Pretty sure we don't know. <laughs> yeah. As it's, as it's noted in the book, she's got plans of her own. Uh, we, we absolutely have to mention Samuel. You've already, Jim's already mentioned Sam, Samuel Mueller, Stedholder mm -hmm. Mueller. He's actually, in a lot of ways, he's sort of the shadow leader of the conspiracy, and he's the only one who manages to skate away scot-free. <laughs> he does. I don't know what to think about this guy, to be honest. I mean, he seems like a snake in the grass, but then again, I don't know. Uh, maybe he's going to come around. What, what you're saying, what you're, what you're saying, is an insult to snakes, and I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it's Clarence Steadholder Burdett. Oh, yeah. were you going to add something, JP? I'm no, sorry. I was just saying. Speaking of snakes, ah. yes, the technical or visible leader of the uh, conspiracy against uh, the the protectorate. He's the um, he is the what? vocal leader. He is happy to tell uh -huh. everybody how great he is and is. how wrong. Yeah. And it's not really honor necessarily. It's against the Mayhew, uh, uh, the Mayhew reforms. Mm -hmm. mm. Brother Marchant, his cleric, another just utterly despicable. Yeah. I think I've got comments about him later. I, I do not like religious over the top people. If I'm remembering this guy right, by the way, he seemed for a moment to. Like he might be a voice of reason for uh, Fitzclarence and then quickly demonstrates he's not. One mm -hmm. of the things that he, I think, illustrated very well is a particular human frailty of when your heart knows you are totally wrong, your heart knows that you have totally screwed up, but your ego won't let your, your ego won't let yeah. you admit it or confess it even to yourself, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to an ideology or a worldview. Uh, people will stick their fingers in their ears and hum real loud, as Captain John Sheridan would put it. And he is a he, he really illustrates that, which compared to Mueller, who's taking it strictly from a political expediency and Fitzclarence, who just is to totally committed to that belief to begin with where, where, where nothing can convince nothing will convince him he's so self-righteous that nothing will convince him is he's wrong mm -hmm. <sighs> and then there's edward martin the zealot assassin that jim referred to yep <laughs> who's the break point of everything coming out we have to bring up uh reverend hanks okay i have a tissue out yeah, yeah. i liked this guy i mean he was, he was very secure in his beliefs, but at the same time, he kept an open mind. He didn't argue. He didn't try to proselytize. He accepted what he saw and 
moved on with it. And he's just a, a great guy. Someone that I would not mind associating with. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the impression he was wishy-washy. He, he wasn't, he held no. his beliefs strongly, but he had a very different perspective than, uh, Burdett or his, uh, Mueller, very different perspective, uh, different context, different worldview. Use that word. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, it was, he was a very refreshing character. He was, he, 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 um, well, since it's based on a Bible, I'll go ahead and use the phrase. He, what he, his approach to theology was Christ-like. Yeah. He was unshakable in his faith, but he respected others. And in apologetics, uh, there's something called the golden rule of apologetics that is, uh, gosh, I, I, and now I'm drawing a mind blank. Unity. Don't, don't say he who has the gold no. makes the rules. <laughs> <laughs> on the unity on the essentials. Yeah, John um, Chrysostom is who I hear that attributed to. Hmm? In the essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, and in all things Christ. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Or, or sometimes it's quoted as in all things grace. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for you. Thank you for uh, filling in my less than caffeinated brain. <laughs> Yeah. And then of course, of course he uh he laid down his life to save another person. Yes. Honor in particular. And uh what's that saying? No greater love hath man for another than to lay down his life for them. For yes. I I I'm not saying it exactly the way it's written, but yeah, we've uh, we've encountered this situation mm-hmm. in in uh, in other contexts such as b5 and so forth yes but yeah i mean how couldn't you not like the guy i mean he's he's just incredible and he he's proof you could disagree and still have a loving relationship yeah yeah moving on mer- names that have to be mentioned miranda la Follette, uh andrew's sister mm-hmm. honors maid yeah. yeah which we find out is a very highly paid, very well-respected professional position. Mm-hmm. She's going to be another one for us to keep an eye on. Uh, we got to mention Alfredo Yu. We, we, we ran into yes. him before. He, he was the, he, he, what he'd surrendered with, uh, and escaped at Masada and basically defected because he knew no matter what, he would be killed outright by mm-hmm. the legislaturalists. And he has come to Grayson and taken a citizenship there and becoming one of them and seems to be on his way of becoming a f- good friend of honors, even. Yeah, I really liked how she handled that um, meeting, the re-meeting, the reacquaintance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was a source of major tension in the story for me. I mean, it was like, oh boy, what is going to happen now? <laughs> you because know, he's her flag captain. Yes. I mean, they're attached at the hip. They they have to be of one soul and mind in, in lockstep. Yeah. Well, it took a lot for Honor to accept that for the time being, and she laid it on the line. You know, well, we're going to accept this situation for the time being. We'll see how things work out uh, before we move on any further. Uh, and at I the like, end of the day, was paid off. Mm-hmm. I like the character. I mean, mm-hmm. he he has honor, he has integrity. Uh, he he's chosen his side, and he's going to be loyal to that side. 
Yep. And we're going to see more of him. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't worry about that. One person, sadly, we won't be seeing more of is Adam Garrick. Yeah, brilliant engineer, minimum of social skills, though. And th- this is another one of those deaths that just hurt because yep. the way the dome collapse is written from his perspective. I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing the collapse of the dome through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And then he gets killed in that assassination attempt. Yeah. You know, you, you had to feel bad for the guy anyway. I mean, he had this this project that was working out so well. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it comes down and then he finds out, Oh, I, it, it's not because of anything we did. And I tell you what, it's just, yeah. just speaking again of snakes. They're just coming out all over the place. <laughs> yep. You'd almost think there was a Mossad. You'd almost, you'd almost think these guys were acting more like Mossad. Those snakes were acting more like Mossadans than Grayson's. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, keep that in mind. A couple places to mention. I have, we've already mentioned the the GNS Terrible Honors flagship, which is almost a place of its own. It, it is so honking huge, <laughs> four kilometers long, six hundred meters wide. That's a lot of ship. Yeah. yeah, we get just enough about it to to whet the appetite on wanting to know more about all of these ships. But these super dreadnoughts. It's are, coming. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Yeah, the Conclave of Steadholders, is, is, we've run into some of it before. We really get to see how it functions in much the same way we've seen the House of Lords mm-hmm. on Manticore. Uh, we still haven't seen the House of Commons of either, or the Common House, the lower house of either of these uh, planets yet. But it still holds the old uh, tradition of trial by combat. <laughs> yeah. And that's what really brings... It up uh, as sophisticated in some ways as the Graysons are with a thousand and with a thousand year history, decisions can still come down to the stroke of a sword. Yep. Well, it's quick and efficient. Mm-hmm. Whichever way it goes. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the Committee for Public Safety, we need to keep that one in mind. We're going to be obviously seeing a whole lot of that over the next uh, several books. And hey, if we're going to have Robespierre, right, there's got to be the committee, right? <laughs> yep um, do, you, do you like how we've set this up and you just mentioned it Raul for this temporary organization to maintain law and order after the coup just temporary I assure you yeah. is already showing all the signs of being the government yep mm-hmm. you know and right now the focus has been on uh oh go ahead Jay go ahead Jay. I, I was ju- I was just going to say that um the Robespierre thing, it, it kind of inspired me to look, uh, look that up and, and, and read up on it. I wasn't completely aware of, of the situation, but, uh, so I, I'm being inspired to go outside of the book and, and learn more about other things. It will do that. It will do that. <laughs> By the way, take a look at the other members of the committee, uh, St. Just, mm-hmm. Oscar St. Just, if you, if you're familiar with the French Revolution and the Committee of Public Safety. Okay. Mm. <laughs> and even Cordelia Ransom, that person, if you dig into it, you're going to find some connections there. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the parallels will, the parallels are really clever, <laughs> both where they're up front and in your face and then where they're in there with a lot of subtlety. Ah. 
And I think we've probably, just between that summary and, of course, with the people, since it's so character-driven, probably does a good job setting up uh, JP for some of the themes. Yeah, well, here's uh, here are the themes that I see. And then, as always, you guys jump in or add to the end. But military command is a dominant theme, and the bur- the associated burden of command. Duty, mm-hmm. sacrifice, and honor, lowercase h, mm-hmm. military and political in that context yep. of duty, sacrifice, and honor. Military theory is, of course, running all through here. Uh, specifically, there's a reference to Clausewitz at one point in the book, and there is there is also at least one reference to Sun Tzu, although he is not named. In all, all but Clausewitz is named. Clausewitz was yeah. named, yep. Um, they, they openly remember... You know, the question is asked, right? I think uh, Honor asks Alfredo, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Did you ever read Clausewitz? And then he says on war, and she says, yeah, you know. And they end up talking about uh, war being fought by humans. But I have more mm-hmm. on that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, so Clausewitz is directly referenced. And then there's another concept in play that there's no reference to one of the great captains like Clausewitz. Um, but you see... The influence that Weber, we've talked about it before, that he's picked up in his own studies or in his relationships with naval officers or military officers in general. There's another, there's another military strategist named Sun Tzu. And, um, there's a concept that he, I'll just say he was the first to at least document and expound on that, um, is referenced in this book as well, but more on that in a bit. So military theory is a theme is running, running solidly through here. Biases and how they influence behavior, uh, personal behavior, but also broadly political behavior. We see a lot of that political science and government uh, to the point as we discussed that there's a lot of exposition about that facets of it. Anyway, um, the two things that I wanted to emphasize about political science and government here, though, was this continuing the continuing authoritarianism that we see. And as I've mentioned before, it certainly harkens, given the time of this book and world events, back to the Soviet Union and that particular flavor of authoritarianism, which is Marxism. But it is not exclusive to that. And I think I've mentioned that before. No, because there's also direct uh, parallels to the French Revolution. Yes, to France, for sure. We see this with the peeps resulting in an authoritarian coup, and now we see elements of it within Grayson in the form of the second political science theme, which is terrorism. And I'm using that broadly. I'm using a kind of a broad definition that I'll just say is political violence. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a generally accepted term among political scientists. And, you know, that terrorism is a hard thing because there's not a single definition for it, but it always encapsulates illegal or immoral forms of political violence. And um, we see that happening here, too, as as we see demonstrations of government and discussions about political science. So those are the themes. Uh, some are not new. Nope. We've seen them in prior books, and I'm sure we're going to see them in future books. The story spends a lot of time. This is why I had, you know, outside of the show, a Set, made, made that comment about considering a section on instruments of power, or actually just theories of political power, because the books throughout 
are going, I mean, a lot of what they deal with is a story about those four instruments. And it's right now very heavily focused on uh, political and military, but especially when we start seeing with Haven, you've, I'm sure you saw the uh, hint teams around information. Yep. And we're starting to see with uh, elements where her wealth is concerned and what she's doing as far as the exercise of power, economic and economic. frankly, economic is going to become a, a huge part of it going for at some point. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely keep talking about them and maybe it's yep. to just start to have a focused pointing at those as we do each book I, or not knowing what's coming full, ahead. Yeah. Or folding in of it with your themes, which is, I guess in a lot of ways I, you're pretty much doing. And I can make more deliberate links to uh, which instrument something appears to be playing into or, or multiple. I, I want to talk about those like they happen in isolation. They can, but they, they usually don't. No, no, they, they, they don't. And he, he really starts to play with the inter, interweaving of those. And it's going to become more prominent. I thought you were going to say gonna be... more, more real world-ish. Yeah, and there's going to start to be shifts from which one is dominant. But that said, let's, I'm looking at the clock. Let's go ahead and move ourselves on because we definitely want to talk. We've got the, we've got the story points. We've got the characters. We've got the themes. So how does that all work into the plots? And Jim, I'm going to let you start us off on that. All right. So Honor was tired, demoralized and depressed because of the past events, and she seemed to be fitting into her role of stead holder nicely and seemed to be healing at the same time. On the other hand, when she was offered to be made an admiral in the Grace and Navy, she found herself uncomfortable in accepting the assignment. Some of her old insecurities had come back. She was struggling with all the deaths under her command, and she was unsure she would be able to effectively discharge her duties as a high-ranking officer. She felt she had gone soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, can, I can understand where she's coming from, especially when, when the deaths that she is accepting responsibility for number in the thousands. That's got to be tough. Got to be tough. I was impressed with Weber's handling of this story. Uh, these feelings uh, never really went away as the tale unfolded, but once Honor was back in the saddle, she was able to deal with it, and that was thanks in large part to the people around her as well as support from Nimitz. Uh, it was refreshing to see Honor open to accepting a former foe as a close advisor. Not only is uh, she a great commander, but uh, she has the flexibility to keep her mind open in difficult situations. So, JP, you're going to go next? Sure. I've got, right. I've got, I broke it into three, three nuggets that I liked all, you know, equally. First was, of course, the epic space battle. That was, that was, uh, <laughs> 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 it, it was that, um, especially coming out of a, a pretty lengthy stretch of, stage setting and exposition then you know the fight was on and it was um, detailed and complex and scary and exciting it was just awesome it was like watching Mm -hmm. a movie it was epic yeah yep (laughs) uh second one how i how honor gracefully began executing her duties as a stead holder i thought was was um it, it just was definitely a favorite 
part of the plot for me. Uh, she understood that her status was causing friction among the people broadly, even though she did have, you know, pretty, pretty legit popularity because she had saved the planet. She had, uh, and there was definitely friction within the Gracing government. She didn't shy away from it and she wasn't bullish though. She just, she was just on her. Um, uh-huh. She uses her authority that she was granted by them to per- purposefully and gently begin to connect with the people of Grayson by making a truly significant personal investment in the establishment of Grayson Sky Domes. And then she uses that company to make real improvements in people's lives. If that, I thought it was cool that in the book, Weber points out that if that enterprise had failed, and he did it in the context of the story, obviously, it would have bankrupted Honor. It would have yeah. been her downfall financially. So she truly committed herself to her stead, to the government of Grayson, and broadly to all the people of Grayson. Uh, just absolutely respectable and honorable, and because he's built these characters like he has, very, very believable. Um, the third and final facet was kind of some satisfaction that I saw for Honor in that she appeals to the government of Grayson for justice after it's revealed what had happened, this sabotage, these acts of terror, and she receives it with unhesitating support. That's an interesting contrast with what happened in a very similar situation between her and Young as it unfolded on Manticore. And you know right, you know what? Actually she denounces she denounces uh Fitzclarence. I, I hadn't really thought she denounces Fitzclarence almost the, the same way yes. from the floor that she denounced Pavel Young publicly. Yep. And uh, and in I I'm not saying That's this a is a criticism contrast. and I wasn't gonna bring it up, it just came to my mind. Um Fitzclarence Burdett is is just another Pavel Young. The way he thinks of yeah. honor the way that uh, honor Harrington, um, the way that criticizes With a little less her, cowardice, all of maybe. it. He's yeah, he's a little bolder. He's because uh, young, I, obviously, according to the court, is a coward. Uh, this <laughs> guy was bold, but he is the same slimy substance that that Pavel Young was. And uh, but but I love that she demanded, asked for, requested, pleaded for justice. And everybody knew she was owed that on Manticore, but she was effectively denied it. You know, she was mm-hmm. told you can do you can do what you know you are allowed to do, but it's going to ruin your career. She makes the same appeal on Grayson, and they're like, "Yep, go for it." And uh, um, so, there, I I guess there's going to be some more storytelling about that at some point. But uh, yeah. that those were those were for me the uh, favorite plot points, and they were kind of all equal in what what uh, Weber was doing you know for for me for for me it and my comments are going are rather fairly short on this thing uh which I'm sure everyone's going to appreciate but uh obviously the space battles how how can you not love them and what I one of the things I like is they progressively increase in the scope and scale proportional to the greater responsibilities and roles that Honor's taking on as well. Hey, they were epic. They, they were they were epic. And they continue to get more so. I'm going to combine. I, I kind of combined your second and third points as really the entire Grayson arc from Honor's 
investiture, the foundation of Sky Domes, the assassination attempts, her vengeance against Steadholder Burdett, all of it. The way she wins over the Graysons in general, I I, I just yeah. found it that that whole arc it went from heartwarming to tearful at times. It had great moments of tension and uncertainty. It, it was just excellent storytelling there. And, and that alone actually generates, I, I would say that should generate a lot of forgiveness for all of the exposition that he that he realized is necessary if he's going to let the uh, Haven side grow the way it needs to grow. And we know what really surprises me. When we first went to Grayson, I, I was really looking at uh, the whole of Grayson a bit askance. Uh, it's like, oh, really? Here? And you you quickly really come to just love the Graysons. Whatever, whatever warts they're, um, they have because of their perspectives on things. The, yeah, warts and all. The, the average Grayson and even it looks like the average governing person in Grayson, they're, they're good people. Mm-hmm. And they know they've got warts. They, they, they get it. They, they understand that. Yep. And that, that was the friction right there. That's mm-hmm. what generated that friction is uh, that clash. Yeah. Oddly, not Harrington's fault, even though Burdett blames her. It's a it's a it's a fight within the Grayson world on how they they view. Everything. Hey, they're not called the Harrington reforms. It's not called the Harrington uh, <laughs> Reformation. <laughs> it's the Mayhew Reformation. All right. So, we might, Jim, we might need to do quotes. Let's get some quotes. All right. So I'm going to uh, have to go last because I've got more than one. All right. <laughs> All right. During a celebration of success for the dome building, honor is challenged to a rather lengthy debate by Reverend Marchant in chapter five, uh, where she demonstrates that she has done her homework on uh, grace and beliefs and gets to do something that I think uh, many of us would probably love to have the chance to do. And that is shout down uh, an idiot zealot. (laughs) yes okay so all right so here we go you corrupt the faith by your very presence by the unclean example and ideas you carry like pestilence beware those who would seduce you my brothers heed not those who would defile the temple of your soul with promises of material things and worldly power but hold fast to the way of god and be free honor heard hanks inhale between clenched teeth as Marchant quoted from the Book of the New Way. It was the second most sacred of all Grayson texts, and she felt the reverend's fury as Marchant twisted it to his purpose. But Honor had spent hours poring over the New Way herself in an effort to understand her people, and now she blessed the sharpness of her own memory. Perhaps you should finish your citation, sir, she said to Marchant, and her prosthetic eyes uh, showed her the shock on his face. I believe, she continued calmly and clearly, that St. Austin ended the passage with, Shut not your minds to the new, because the chains of the past bind you tight, for it is those who cling most desperately to the old who will turn you from the new way and lead you once more into the paths of the unclean. Okay. That is uh, a great quote to pick, Jim. Yeah. I, As we I, used to say back in the day, ooh, burn. Uh, yep, yeah, she really. Owned him. 
and it's it's just a very small part of of a very lengthy that went on for pages and pages. So. And she totally pwned him there. Oh yeah, <laughs> to use the modern phrasing and, of and he burn. didn't like it. He did not like it. No, nope. But but he he earned it. <laughs> All right, I, I'm yeah. gonna hand it hand it off to JP. All right, and I'm gonna go second. Raul, you said you're going third because you have more than one quote. I'm going to go second because I have one long quote. As as I mentioned earlier, it's going to go back to Honor's exhaustion as she finds herself facing more exhaustion. So she's dealing with this physical and mental fatigue. Uh, here we go. She closed her eyes and braced her right hand on the frame of the tank as traitor knees tried to betray her. Her ribs spasmed as her arm took her weight, and she felt a matching spasm of terrible futile rage at the universe why she thought bitterly why now why does it have to be right this minute the universe returned no answer and she felt a deep cowardly temptation to pass responsibility to command central she'd been through too much lost too much built up too vast a debt of physical and emotional exhaustion barely an hour before she'd looked desperately forward to a period of rest and recovery now she had this to deal with, and it was too much to expect of her. Let Command Central handle it. They were fresh. They hadn't been shot out of the sky, seen people they cared about blown into bloody meat, fought a duel on the floor of the conclave chamber, so let them make the decisions. That was what they were there for, wasn't it? Shame twisted her, and she gritted her teeth, forced her eyes back open, and commanded her knees to support her as she glared down into the dark, or into the tank, and cursed her own self-pitying cowardice. So she was tired, was she? Well, no rule required the enemy to wait until they were sure she was fresh as a daisy, did it? And while she was whimpering about how unfair it was for to her, what about the Graysons? It was their star system which was about to be blown apart, and High Admiral Matthews had offered her this job because she had more experience than any of them did. How would she feel if she told him he'd been wrong after all? That she needed a little rest? That she needed to get back to him after the battle? If there was still a star system to defend? Humiliation straightened her spine, and she turned from the master plot. She crossed to her command chair and set Nimitz on its back, and the cat's nimble true hand snapped the specially installed safety harness to its attachment points on his skin suit while she racked her helmet. Then she seated herself, tapped the activation code on the keypad on the chair's right arm. Displays flickered to life before her, and she gazed at them for a mo uh, one more moment through almond eyes, hard with contempt for her own cowardice. Then she drew a deep breath, leaned back in the chair, and turned her face, uh, turned it to face her chief of staff and her ops officer. All right, people, Admiral Lady Honor Harrington's unflustered soprano went through the bridge like a magic wand of calm confidence. It seems it's time for us to earn our princely salaries. <laughs> and of course that leads them into the epic. Battle. Well, Colonel Harvey, <laughs> well, that Colonel was Harvey, truly you epic. read that like someone who can relate to this character. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever been as tired as this description, but I've, I've been pretty tired and not able to rest. But uh, yeah, this was a this was a cool passage, uh, very human, right? This is not honor as a real person, you know, as much as a, a fictional character can be a real person. I, I really appreciated this. Mm -hmm. So, 
uh, Raul. My first quote is unfortunately, and also, or maybe fortunately, also a long one. It kind of provides a contrast to the seriousness of your quote, but it, it also, in a way, in a in a way, even though it's one of the lighter moments of the book, which is why I picked it, but hearing your quote kind of lets you understand why she's so willing to commit so much of herself, literally herself, two words, yeah. to, the, to the Graysons. She straightened her shoulders and glanced back out the window as the car moved past the entrance to Yanikov Park. She let her gaze rest on the soothing green welcome of the park, savoring the beauty of the sight. But then her eyes narrowed and she paled. Good God, was it starting already? Nimitz's head shot up, ears pricked and whiskers quivering as he sensed a sudden alarm. Both of them stared for one more instant at the group of men moving purposefully through the park gates, and then she whirled to La Follette. Get Colonel Hill on the comm. Now, Andrew. My lady? La Follette stared at her for a heartbeat, then whipped his head around to peer quickly through all the car windows. He was reaching for his portable comm in reflex obedience to her barked order, but his face was a study in confusion. What is it, my lady? He demanded as he keyed the comm. Tell him to get hold of HCP and then get a platoon of guard to the park. The major gaped at her and Honor slapped an open palm on the armrest. It wasn't like Andrew to be slow on the uptake, she thought furiously. So why has he chosen today of all days for his brain to go to mush on her? Uh, of course, my lady, Lafollette said after a moment, so soothingly she wanted to scream. May I tell the colonel why? Why? asked Honor incredulously. She stabbed an index finger at the men just vanishing through the gate. Because of them, of course. What about them, my lady? Lafollette asked cautiously, and she stared at him. His confused perplexity flowed to her over Nimitz's empathic link, and she was stunned by his obtuseness. We've had enough people banged up in riots without their taking clubs with him, Andrew. Clubs? La Follette's confusion was complete, and he darted another look out the window, just as a second group of men headed into the park. Like the first, they too carried long slender clubs over their shoulders, and the Major's eyes narrowed. Honor began to relax at the evidence that he finally recognized the threat. Then, impossibly, he began to laugh. It started with an incredulous chuckle. Then his face worked with his desperate effort to stifle it, but he couldn't. It got away from him, erupting into a choked bubble of relieved hilarity that filled the car's interior. Honor and Nimitz stared at him in disbelief, and their expressions only made him laugh harder. No, not laugh. They made him howl, and Honor reached out and shook him hard. Clubs, my lady? The Major gasped for breath holding his aching ribs with both hands, and tears of mirth gleamed in his eyes. Th those aren't clubs, my lady. They're baseball bats. <laughs> <laughs> that, that tickled me when that happened, because I didn't know where it was going other than I was pretty sure they weren't threats. Uh, yeah, w when, once it started, when, once, once you had La Follette, uh, when, when Andrew started to look into the thing a little bit, and he wasn't panicking and he was actually confused you know that it was going somewhere with this <laughs> i'll tell you what i i just lost it completely when i read that whole section and i had to put the book down and go 
and walk away for a while. I was laughing so darn hard. Yes, because you didn't. Ex- it, it wasn't what it. You weren't expecting that. Not even a little bit. But dang it, it just captures the nature of the Graysons. It was awesome. <laughs> so well. No wonder Honor loves them so much. <laughs> the second quote, I could probably just use one small portion of it, but I am going to go ahead and do the lead up to it. Uh, this is uh, Protector Mayhew speaking at the start. Th- this is right after Fitz Clarence challenged her to the to the sword's justice, basically. Bear in mind, he did this knowing she had been basically blown up, pretty significantly injured. So Mayhew s- says, my lady, I know of your injuries, he said, and pitched his voice so that it carried to every ear and microphone. He was determined that everyone watching should know he'd surrendered only because of her injuries and not because he ever doubted her courage. I do not believe you are physically fit to accept this man's challenge in my defense. And so Honor raised a hand and shock stopped him mid-sentence. No one ever interrupted the protector of Grayson when he spoke from the throne. It was unheard of, but she seemed unaware of that. She simply gazed up at him, never even turning to glance at Burdette, and her cold, dispassionate soprano was clear and caring as his own voice had been. Your grace, she said, I have only one question. Do you wish this man crippled or dead? (laughs) That line of hers is one of the two best lines in the series, in my opinion. And there are two other quotes. I I could leave it at this, but I've got to include them. Things for tree cats were less complicated than for humans. And for all of their intelligence, they held to a simple code. For them, those who threatened them or their adopted humans came in only two categories. Those who had been suitably dealt with and those who are still alive. <laughs> you, 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 if, as you learn more and more about tree cats, you, you'll appreciate that quote more and more. Oh, we, and, we got to see Nimitz in action in this book again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yes, he, he's, he's a person and he is an incredibly dangerous one if you're on his wrong side. And the last quote is from Thomas Tiesman, and this is just because of the foreshadowing. The universe, he reflected, was not precisely overrunning with fairness, but it did seem that what went around came around, a point the Committee of Public Safety might want to bear in mind. Mm. And I just noticed that was a direct copy and paste, and it says Committee of Public Safety, not Committee for Public Safety. Mm. Hmm. I loved that bit of foreshadowing. We'll just call huh? it the committee. Yep. Yeah. Let's not start picking nits. <laughs> <laughs> I did just little things that amuse me <laughs> from there, Jim, I'm going to pass it over to you and I'm going to shut up for a while. All right. So closing thoughts and our takeaway from this story, I guess I'll start. I've already belabored my thoughts on the detailed information dump of, of the first half of the story. So I'm not going to go there again. Uh, There were two stories in this book. For me, the main story was the attack on honor by the religious hypocrites. This was far more interesting than the war scenes that were interspersed in the text. It kind of surprised me when the space battle came back at the end. I was already exhausted by what happened with honor and felt like the book should have ended there. The, The final battle was the usual against all odds, honor saves the day situation, 
while it was a good battle, actually it was epic. Uh, it seemed a little, <laughs> okay, couldn't resist. Um, it seemed a little like an obligatory coda to the main story. Uh, it came across as an, oh, by the way, we got to have this space battle. I didn't need it to have a great story. It was entertaining, but still just for me, a coda. Uh, I found myself very uncomfortable, however, with the frequent use of the words whore and harlot thrown at honor, since those both are an accusation of prostitution. As I recall, Paul Tankersley never gave honor a single red cent unless one considers uh, he took her out to dinner once in a while. Uh, at the same time, I realized this was being used by the hypocrites as an inflammatory attempt to sway opinion to their way of thinking. Uh, honor was also referred to as a fornicator, uh, but that was her own business, and I'm in no position to judge. Uh, my takeaway... Jim, that was also Reverend Hank's position. Yeah. So, uh, my takeaway was uh, the good versus evil aspect of the tale. There, There is a very thin line between the two, and... Uh, those that perceive themselves as good, such as Burdett and Marchant, always seem to need to take on the ways of evil to fight their battles. Uh, they are the embodiment of justifying mass murder to achieve their ends by claiming to be serving their God. Uh, there's no need to cite examples replete throughout human her history of this sort of uh, behavior. Just a few so, thousand years. Yeah, yeah. Knights Templar... Crusades. <laughs> yeah, well, you just go. You can pretty much go back through what is it about six, seven thousand years of recorded history. Yeah, and I'm sure, go. and I'm sure it actually precedes that a bit. Oh yeah. And by the way, if if what they were calling the the way they were using the language uh, reference to honor was making you feel uncomfortable, good, it was supposed to. Yeah, I, I think that was Weber's point. Yeah, I it 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 just. It just sickened me the way they were referring to her. And especially when you saw through her eyes and the way, the way it really true, actually even more through Andrew, through Andrew's eyes, that, that, that was where, where it really came through because he could, he knew and he could see, he saw her. In fact, it mentioned it. He saw on the security cameras, what was going on with her at night. So he really knew how badly it was. That kind of stuff was, affecting her yeah well and then too you know uh marchant was when he went way too far and the crowd started chasing him they chased him up in the bleachers <laughs> and honor still uh did not want him injured uh, did not yep. want him to be to be hurt and you know that that just shows shows what uh how mm -hmm. this can unfold so yeah, and I also kind of like the way Andrew arranged some responses, shall we say? Yeah. To to some of the protests without yeah. doing anything. Yeah. Okay. Well, should uh, hand it off to JP. Go for sure. it. So overall, great story for me. Um, Weber continues or is continuing to weave uh, an epic. I'll use that term again. Tale. I'm starting to see. Um, the evidence is that he's he's still building the world out, but he is also deep diving into some of these characters, certainly honor, but others. The exposition, you know, we both kind of beat up on it a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm happy to wait and see why it was all there, but it, it did 
put a little bit of a dent. I think you use that term, Jim. Uh, maybe not mm. in my my rating for the book. Not not a, not in a big way, but um, it dragged uh, a little bit. I thought I love that Clausewitz is specifically mentioned again. I'm impressed that Weber has a apparently has a solid working knowledge of his writings, which if you've ever picked up on War and read it, it is not the most exciting stuff. I can't imagine non-military people picking it up other than maybe historians and getting a lot out of it because it's not written for that kind of consumption. Um, in fact, it wasn't finished when he died and, and it was put together mm-hmm. later. Um, that said, I don't believe the quote that was attributed to Clausewitz in this story, which is that war is fought by human beings. Um, I don't, I don't think that's a literal quote. I have a well-worn paper copy of the book and not an e-copy, so I couldn't do a search. But I went back through the book quickly on war, quickly trying to find that quote, um, and I and I didn't. That said, it absolutely represents what Clausewitz had to say about warfare. Um, that that theme of war is a is a human endeavor. It runs throughout all of his writings, so no issue at all. But I didn't remember that when I read it in, in uh, this this book, this Honor Harrington book. And I thought, I don't remember that Clausewitz saying that. And I, in a fast pass through, I couldn't find it. Maybe one of our listeners, um, somebody with the e-copy of the book can do a quick search. But it doesn't invalidate the point that Weber was making. 100% valid what he was talking about and how the characters used that sentiment. So he understood um, Clausewitz. Yeah, yes, yes. And it, he's... He's showing all the signs that he's studied it himself or he has read the right books that have painted an accurate picture of what Clausewitz was getting at as one of the one of the great captains. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll mention I'll mention the other great captains in a minute, at least traditionally. Um, the related thing I, I talked about this earlier was that Weber brings up the concept of shaping, specifically shaping the enemy. Um, that concept was first documented by Sun Tzu in The Art of War. Weber doesn't mention shaping, um, academically discuss the concept or attribute it to Sun Tzu, which is fine. But I thought it was awesome that he wrote the concept into the story, specifically in the context of what Honor does to attempt to manipulate the enemy by trying to influence what he perceived and then would possibly do as a result. And that tied directly back to where they were talking about war being fought by humans. And what she began to do um, is called shaping. She began shaping the enemy's mind through the behaviors of, of um, her elements of the fleet. Um, this That concept, these concepts are actually all still taught today. The three great captains that are taught um, to military officers in particular, but not exclusively, that drive modern military theory are Sun Tzu, who was a Chinese strategist, lived from 544 to 496 BC. Karl von Clausewitz, who we've seen multiple references to in the first five books, was a Prussian general who lived from 1780 to 1831, Napoleonic era. And another guy by the last name of Jomini, who was a Swiss military officer that also lived in that same time frame as Clausewitz, 1779 to 1869. Those three men are are the foundation of, still to this day, modern military theory on strategy, on connecting policy, government policy, to the strategy of the military, 
all those kinds of things. So uh, I'm I'm digging it. I'm I'm kind of geeking out on the fact that Weber is taking time to introduce the public broadly, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Not people reading stuff because they're military professionals, but science fiction fans who may also like these, uh, you know, these great, these great war stories that he's teaching them real stuff in there. And I I think it's awesome. But uh, that's, those are my closing thoughts. How about you, Raul? Take us home. I'll I'll say this. I, I completely agree with everything you said there. But it even goes beyond just, you know, the military side of it. He also does the same thing as, the, as this saga progresses, where the economics side is concerned. He's shortly, we're going to see a lot more of it, doing the same thing where, where the, the role of information is play, plays out in it. In fact, he laid a lot of groundwork for that story direction in uh, this in this book and he spends a lot of time on doing that same kind of uh, working in of the story where the political aspects are. And that is what I'm using into the segue because this particular novel, you know, historically from readers has taken criticism because of the amount of political narrative, especially where Haven is concerned. I've always looked at it more as providing that, historical background that's needed for Haven, uh, how it came to be in the state that it's in, what what happened to get them there. And much of that, a lot of that, you know, much of that information is going to be relevant as the whole Havenite side of the saga unfolds. And this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, JP, that the story's bigger, turns out to be, this is going to be a much bigger story than he ever expected for, you know, just five books, maybe eight books. Uh, and it's becoming to un- necessary to understand the people of the nation. And aside from the fact that I like the late theory for that, for that, I can give that, I can give that exposition dump, that info dump, the pass. But going on though, the grace and aspect of this story, and, and I, I can't uh, help but the fact that I've read this book several times already uh, from influencing it, as well as reading the rest of the series. This book represents the greatest growth Honor Harrington has had as a character to date. And you can make a pretty strong argument that it's probably the most important growth of the character for the entire series, because the changes here in her character cover personal, that covers the political aspects, it covers military aspects that are going to be literally life-defining for the rest of the character throughout the series. Her attitudes in command, she, she's not just a ship skipper anymore, and, and now her attitude has taken that bigger step into just a fleet, that kind of fleet-type leadership. Her relationship with the political leaders across n- known space, all of that, path gets defined in the pages of this uh, particular novel. She changes from just a highly talented skipper, a highly talented, very popular naval officer, into one of the movers and shakers of galactic events in this book. And he does that with a story that's an absolute joy to read. Man, I I almost want to read the next book. (laughs) (laughs) 
we we we've got a lot of pieces going to get to get to to where the end of the Havenite arc and going into the next stage goes. Um, you, you, I think you'll like the next book, and, and you're going to see elements of what I'm talking about here, but applied in ways you didn't necessarily. So, folks, let's go ahead and shift into some ratings. I'm sure we've largely talked this thing to death. Who wants to go first? If no one wants to go first, I'm willing. I'll, I'll throw in for uh, first. I, I'm giving it a uh, 4.5. One of you guys has to go next because I just want. <laughs> I will go Go ahead and go. Jim, go ahead and go next. All right. Well, for reasons stated earlier and uh, so as not to belabor the point, I'm giving it a 375. Ooh, two decimal places out. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, like, I couldn't say 3.5, but I couldn't say four. That's fair. So I split yep. the difference. Again, I can't get away from the fact that I've actually read the books already. Uh, that, that I know where the series is going and what he's set, what he has set up with it. And for the kinds of growth and changes we've seen in honor, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot, I found it easy to forgive. So I, we're going to have a widespread here. I went with a four, nine. All right. All right. Okay. And I have a feeling when you average this out, we're going to be consistent with Goodreads and Amazon. So have you done the math, Jim? All right, well, that gives us an average of 4.38. Comparing that to Goodreads, uh, it is a 4.22, and they have 18,317 ratings, and Amazon came across with a 4.7 with 1,264 ratings. So we're in, we're in good company. We're, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a pretty consistent one. Yeah. So let's, let's wrap bring, this up. Brings us to, yeah, brings us to the end of another show. I want to shout out to Hank Davis and the TPE network for taking good care of us. Thanks, yes. Hank. Yep. And on our next very exciting episode, we will be looking at honor among enemies Honor Harrington book number six by David Weber. Yep. Outstanding. Yep, and I got to toss a couple shout outs as well. I've been able to share some of them, but I've not been able to share them all. I, I mean, John Knight's, uh, Conrad, Frank, and especially um, Baz, who, who've been writing in. Keep it coming. I've been loving the conversations. Sadly, these are people who've read the books before, and I can't, sh I can't share it. I've shared a little of what they've written. I can't share a lot of it with you guys because there's too many spoilers. That's okay. Uh, but they love, I got to tell you, they love you. They love hearing you guys and the perspective because it's the same thing that I've said before. The, just the joy of watching the, 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 the fun of watching people who are discovering these books and what's in them for the first time is just fantastic. And that said, I think it's time to say goodbye before Jim's phone dies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's good night. Say good night, JP. Good night, JP. So long, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Honorverse today. We welcome your feedback. Email us at honorverse at tpenetwork.com.
We are a proud part of TPE Network. Visit us on the web at honorverse.net, on social media, or tpenetwork.com. You can subscribe to Honorverse today by visiting tpenetwork.com slash subscribe. Visit TPE Network for the very best in podcasting. Opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts. They do not reflect the opinions or views of Bain Books, the authors, or TPE Network. Visit Bain.com for the best in science fiction. Many of their books are available from the Bain Free Library found at their site. Theme music is Honor and Sword by Zakar Valaha. Check his website found in the show notes for all your podcasting music needs. <laughs>